Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Gooch, and welcome to Shelter from the Storm, the role of impact of pharmacological treatment approaches the management of acute agitation in an emergency medicine setting. I'm an emergency nurse practitioner. I also do flight and teach emergency nurse practitioner students. This is a common patient interaction we encounter in the ED. So let's talk about some of our options. So first we have our first generation drugs, sometimes typically referred to as our typicals or our neuroleptics. And we have several options available for us here. Probably haloperidol is the one that we see used the most. It's talked about a lot in the literature. But there's several other categories that fit in here. And the big thing to remember about these agents is they tend to be very nonspecific. As you can see, they're going to interact with dopamine, some with alpha, some with histamine as well. And this tends to play a role with their side effect profile. So some of us probably have our one that we prefer to the most, typically haloperidol, but it has some side effects we need to be aware of and think about its role in our practice setting. One of the big things we have to worry about with these agents is their risk for extrapyramidal symptoms. And this can be seen with both our second and our first generation drugs. And definitely something we need to watch for and maybe even educate our patients or even our coworkers about that if this patient may develop some acute dystonias, they may have some of those achathesias that go along with this. This also may be why some patients tend to become non-compliant as they develop these acute dystonias. They don't want other people to see these side effects and it may give them some negative impact as well. One thing we may do there in the ED is go ahead and administer some of antihistamine or anticholinergic with that medication to kind of prevent that from happening. Or some people just wait and see if it happens and then treat that patient after the development. In regular practice, the goal here is to either lower that dose or maybe try a different agent that may have less of those effects. Some of the other side effects we have to worry about with these neuroleptics is going to be our risk for tardive dyskinesias. Unfortunately, like the EPS symptoms, which usually are reversible, especially if we stop the medication or lower the dose, our TDs tend not to be reversible. Those usually happen for long-term therapy, so not a big concern we're dosing that patient in the ED, but something we may just be aware of. All these agents have the risk for seizures because they lower the seizure threshold. They can all cause some other problems, especially cardiac. Most of these do tend to prolong the QT interval. We have to worry about that risk for arrhythmias. And that's a big risk, especially the patients on other medications that may alter the QT, or they have some uh, deficiencies such as B12 or maybe magnesium that may play a role there as well. And now probably most of us are more familiar with our atypicals or our second generation agents. These tend to have a little bit better safety profile. They tend not to be as sedating as my first generation drugs. And we have several options here. Some of these are injectable and oral. Some may only be oral. They have several indications you can see, but definitely maybe the preferred in your practice setting in that patient who we want to control their agitation, but definitely don't want to cause as much sedation. And that patient is cooperative. They realize they need to get some medication on board. This may be a great chance for one of those oral drugs, but definitely in that patient is acutely agitated, they're at risk themselves or others, we may have to go with an injectable. Very similar to our first generation drugs, these are going to have very similar side effects. They tend not to be as bad in the second-generation drugs, but they may still have that risk for the QT prolongation, the seizure problem. One of the things we do see with the atypicals that we don't see with the first-generation drugs 
is this risk for hyperglycemia. And that tends to be exacerbated in the patient who already has a risk for that, such as the patient with diabetes. But if your patient's on corticosteroids or other things that may influence the blood sugar, we need to watch that a little closer. All these atypicals and typical antipsychotics have a box warning now for their use in agitation in the dementia patient. We really should avoid that because it does tend to increase mortality. And some of these also have a box warning about the increased risk of suicidality, and that varies depending on the class and the medication. This is something for us to be aware of and definitely just aware if we are using this for acute agitation, that patient with dementia, there is a box warning out there about that. So understand the risk, but also sometimes the benefits this may play. And we close out the atypicals and the typical antipsychotics. We have to worry about the risk for neuroleptic malignant syndrome. This is a rare but serious side effect we see with these medications. One of the big things here is this doesn't have to be a medication error. It doesn't have to be an overdose. It's just a side effect that happens. This patient also develops significant muscle rigidity and hyperthermia. They become altered. Our big focus here is making sure this patient maintains their airway. We can use benzodiazepines for muscle relaxants to treat their seizures they're having those, get their temperature under control, that may be cooling measures, or using things like dantrolene. And just be aware this is a rare but serious side effect that we see with these medications. Benzodiazepines still play a role here. Sometimes these are given conjunction with an antipsychotic or maybe separately. These are going to have great anoxial lysis. They're going to enhance GABA. They're at the GABA receptors and have that calming effect. Several options out there. Some of these may be great for oral if the patient's cooperative. If I had to choose an injectable, I like midazolam because it can be given IV or IM. It's the preferred agent for IM because it's water-soluble, where dazepam and lorazepam tend to be more lipid-soluble, and they don't absorb as well. And midazolam can even be given intranasally. Not sure that's a good option on our acutely agitated patients, but something to have in your toolbox just in case. There is that new box warning out there we should be aware of if we're using benzos regularly. And definitely that patient is a chronic benzodiazepine user. They have a significant risk for withdrawal seizures if those are stopped abruptly or tapered too rapidly. As we wind down thinking about ketamine, this is not a first-line agent, but definitely that patient is refractory to other therapy. Ketamine may be a very good option. The use here is off-label, but definitely can be great for providing sedation. One of the benefits of ketamine is it tends not to have any negative effect on the respiratory drive or the cardiovascular system. So we may dose it at two to four milligrams per kilogram IM. Some may use higher dose or use a standard dose across the board. But as you can see, a rapid onset and pretty decent duration to get that patient under control. These can cause hypersalivation. So we probably, some people may go ahead and pre-drug with an anticholinergic. They can stimulate the GI tract, so nausea and vomiting sometimes happens, and these are contraindicated if the patient's having a hypertensive emergency or if they're having ischemic event. And this is that catecholamine release that we sometimes see that's enhanced by ketamine. So definitely a great option, but definitely probably not my first line, especially this patient is refractory. And I might want to go ahead and add a little benzodiazepine if we haven't yet to kind of blunt some of those psychedelic effects we might see with ketamine, so it is chemically very similar to PCP. And lastly, we have dexmedetomidine. Dexmedetomidine has been around for a while. It's used a lot in the ICU setting for sedation, but definitely has some utility here in the acutely agitated patient as well. If this patient is refractory to other therapies, I cannot get their agitation under control, this may be a good option. 
like ketamine, it tends not to have any negative effects on the cardiovascular respiratory system. It tends to not have that catecholamine effect. So we don't have to worry about the hypertension. It actually may cause hypotension and bradycardia. Its use here is also off-label, but definitely something to think about if something else is not an option. And we now do have a sublingual formulation available for dexmedetomidine. This just got approved last year in 2022, and definitely may be something we can use in that patient's cooperative. That patient realizes they need to get their mood under control, and they can still do some things themselves. This might be a good option that's available so that patient can do their sublingual film and have that autonomy to do it themselves person to have to go for something that's going to be as a parental agent. As you can see here, it can be repeated in two hours. It does have a max dose there in 24 hours, but definitely something we may consider. It tends not to cause some of those other effects we might see with ketamine and definitely may be useful in that patient who's a little bit cooperative. It doesn't have the risk for Q2 prolongation. And one of the nice things about it, it doesn't have any renal adjustment concerns that we have to think about. So there's several options we've talked about for controlling the acutely agitated patient. Maybe we can go with an oral agent or maybe this sublingual film, or maybe that patient who's not cooperative, we may have to go with an injectable. But just think about the more medications we give. If we're combining a benzo and an antipsychotic, we're going to have more longer sedation, and that may prolong their stay and they get more thorough evaluation by a mental health provider. Hope you found this beneficial. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.